Now, a new play by David Hare, Murder in Samarkand, based on the memoir by Craig Murray and starring David Tennant. My name is Craig Murray. I used to be a diplomat. In 2005, I stood against Jack Straw, the Foreign Secretary. I am standing today for Parliament in the Blackburn constituency. The mistake is to think that I'm any kind of hero. I'm not. I'm far too flawed to be a hero. We have to find some way, as citizens, of expressing our anger and disgust at what's happened to our country in the last few years. For some peculiar reason, I was born not frightened of anything. To take the obvious example, I'm not frightened of death. Never have been. So, I'm sorry, by definition, because I'm not frightened, you also have to say I'm not brave. Ah, oh, Craig, there you are. Martin. Serena's waiting. I'm sorry, so much to organise. I can't think why. You've known for a year. Yes, but family. My story starts in 2002. Uh, five years later, I wrote a memoir. What you're listening to now is a version of that memoir. Just so we're clear, um, the usual disclaimer, these are the facts, but some of the names have been changed. You'll find it's a beautiful country, the trips, the countryside, Samarkand. The people are warm. So I've heard. Mind you, I hope you understand the significance. In fact, better say, the context. The context? Mm, the world is changing. It's changing very fast. In what way? Well, certain countries have always seemed distant, smudgy, out of focus. Nobody cared about them. They were a long way away. Now, all at once, they're becoming more interesting. Uzbekistan's interesting. The whole of Central Asia is suddenly interesting. And, of course, you know Serena Kilgore? Craig. Good. Let's sit. <laughs> Martin's briefed you, I hope. He made a beginning. You're going when? He's going Thursday. Okay. Has anyone mentioned, you know you're inheriting slight administrative problems? I'm sorry? Nobody said. Okay, as you probably know, there are only four Brits in your embassy. Your deputy, Angela Glaspie, is an excellent officer. You can rely on her. But? There is a third secretary. His name is Roy Skinner. Here's a copy of a letter from the Uzbek government. A complaint about his aggressive behaviour, his rudeness to Uzbek officials. You replied to that? Of course. We defended him robustly. It's nothing serious, don't worry. He's not in control of his temper. He can be remarkably non-diplomatic. Just keep an eye on him. Yes, well, I certainly will. Good. Do that. Well, this has been a very good meeting. Is there um, anything else I need to be told? The next bit is a pure formality. He sees all the ambassadors. Have you met him before? Not that I remember. Whatever you do, don't say that. The Foreign Secretary likes to think people remember him. Come in, please. Ah, Foreign Secretary. Foreign Secretary. It's Craig Murray, isn't it? <laughs> you did a famous stint in the Gulf War. Yes, yes, I was in the bunker. Analyzing intelligence. Um, at the center of things. I loved it. Never been happier. This is your first embassy? Yes, yes, of my own. You'll be our youngest ambassador. Oh, Craig's a high flyer. With an unusual background. We've diversified recruitment, but still not as much as we'd like. Yes, and there's, there's still very few of us here who hail from Dundee. <laughs> and you like Scottish music? Yes. Good, so do I. Well, we, uh, we don't want to take up your time, Foreign Secretary. <laughs> These are difficult days. Difficult for all of us. We're putting 
great trust in you. Thank you. Please let everyone know that I'm thinking of them. Yes, I'll convey that. Thank you. God almighty, get me a scotch. You've already had three. Fiona, what else is there to do in a plane? Oh, it's interesting. So, this is first class. You might as well enjoy it. I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know we'd get a free film on Uzbekistan's 10th anniversary Independence Day celebrations. There you are, you see. That's a bonus of travelling with me. She keeps giving you scotches. She never offers me one. You don't drink scotch. You know that. She doesn't. Excuse me! And don't look at her like that. She's a stewardess. She isn't a prostitute. Does it never occur to you there might be such a thing as a woman who's not on the game? Sir? I wonder, could I have another? Of course, Mr. Murray. We arrived in Tashkent like tourists at two in the morning. We were met at the airport. Ah, you must be... Angela Glassby. Welcome, Ambassador. My wife Fiona, these are our children. Yeah. Emily, Emily, James. Hello. 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 Uh, I'm Roy Skinner. Ah, yes, Roy. The bags can take up to an hour, I'm afraid. How many do you have? Sixteen. <laughs> Maybe an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> In the car, we couldn't see much of Tashkent. There were illuminated signs on either side of the road. The ones on the left said, Welcome to Uzbekistan. The ones on the right said, Good luck. When we got to it, the British Embassy was gleaming in orange sodium light. It had once been the Kerensky Palace. The dining room was 60 foot long and the table was already laid. Under silver and gold chandeliers, we sat down to eat lamb casserole with roast potatoes at four in the morning. <sighs> Craig, are you all right? What is it? I'm thinking how proud my parents would have been. We got a couple of hours sleep, then in the morning, I assembled my whole staff, four Brits, eight Uzbeks, and I set out my stall. Good. Um, first of all, I want to say how delighted I am to meet you all and to find myself here in Tashkent. It seems to me there are two kinds of diplomatic mission. Either one can just maintain a presence, devote ourselves to issuing visas, deal with problems as they arise, do no harm, as they say, or else, you try to be a little more ambitious. You try to affect policy in such a way that the condition of the people you live among becomes discernibly better. And that's what I want. I want this to be a positive mission. I'm here to help British business. I see us as practical. Offering advice and support to any British national who wants to work and flourish here in Uzbekistan. And if anyone has any ideas how to streamline our procedures, Make us more effective and efficient, then let me say, my door is open. If anyone has any questions? Very good. My first job was the appointment of a personal assistant. My name is Kristina Uzdek. Excellent. Good. Well, if I may, you look outstandingly suitable. Um, outstanding. And your English seems very good. Thank you. I can type and take shorthand. Uh-huh. Well, perhaps you'd like to step in and take a look at my office. May I? Certainly, yes, you most certainly can. Then later that morning, I resolved to tackle my most urgent problem head-on. Ah, uh, yes, Angela. There's something I was hoping to discuss. I wanted to ask, um, this business with Roy. Roy? How do you get on with him? <laughs> get on with him? Roy's my partner. I live with him. You live with him? That's what I said. Um, nobody told me. Our professional relationship is not affected at all. When you talk about the business, 
I can only say it's been thoroughly investigated. The charges were baseless. The Uzbeks are out to get Roy because of the work he does. And when you've been here a little bit longer, you'll get used to that sort of thing. Was there anything else? I didn't want to be one of those ambassadors who sits in their embassy all day. From the beginning, I was determined to get out and about in Tashkent. It was rather an anonymous place. In parts, hideous, cheap, modern. In parts, still rather Russian, with that kind of melancholy, big parks and decaying villas that remind you you're a long way from anywhere. It's an interesting town. As long as you don't mind policemen wherever you live. So what's your plan? To visit British businesses? That's what I'm hoping. It won't take you long. When I came here, there were over 300 Brits working in the country. Now I doubt if you can find 40. Why is that? It's the regime. They deliberately stamp out initiative. They don't want anyone prospering. One of the first Brits I met was Ivo Sanderson. He became a great friend, even though we could hardly be more different. Blazer, striped tie and Panama hat. My tie was Wallace and Gromit. If your business prospered, then you'd be powerful. If you were powerful, you'd represent a threat. So that's not allowed. How do they stop you? They arrive at your factory asking for back taxes no one's ever heard of. Or they demand impossible bribes. Or, or they come with axes. They smash your machines. There's an extremely effective apparatus of terror. Didn't they tell you about this? How do you survive? Like everyone else, by not doing too well. Well, they told me, they said, they said, yes, the regime used to be nasty, but then, they said, with American investment, the country's transforming itself into a, a Southeast Asia-style entrepreneurial economy. And you believe them? Look, you're the first British ambassador to come anywhere near us, and we appreciate that. But I'm not sure what you've been told. When the Soviet Union was the regional power, then the president of this country, Karimov, was a communist. Now things have changed, and he's saying he's a nationalist. He'll say anything. And his rule is absolute. He's remade himself, so he now claims to be friendly to the West. But Karimov's still the same four-letter fellow he always was. I'm talking to you frankly. We're in the open air. Never speak freely indoors, least of all in your own embassy. Not everyone who works in the embassy is working for you. This is a dictatorship. To survive here, you need a disguise, adopt one. What's yours? It's obvious, isn't it? Stupid English expat. You do it very well. Well, thanks very much. You should try Scottish twit. <laughs> you say they briefed you in London. Was it deliberate? That's what you ought to be asking. I don't understand. Don't you? If I were in your shoes, just ask yourself, why didn't they want to tell you the truth? Presumably, I wonder, you've been here long enough. Are you at all keen on the nightlife? Oh, such as it is. Not many options. Are there one or two places you can get a decent drink? Shall we do that right now? I'd like that. There's also a couple of places you can uh, run into girls. Good. Well, let's take things one step at a time. So where were you before? Oh, I was in Ghana. It's my great love, Africa, ah. African development. You ask me, what do you like, Craig? What do you really, what do you really like? I like African development. It makes, you, it makes you feel useful. So then, they made me learn Russian. Why? Because that's what they do in the foreign office. They move you around. They sent me to St. Petersburg. Craig, the high flyer, I was fast track. And I was St. Petersburg. Do you like doubles? 
you like doubles, you'll like St. Petersburg. Vodka, women, whatever, everything comes two at a time. You want two, you have two. Did you like St. Petersburg? I, I explored it to the full. <laughs> so tell me, what, what are the Uzbek girls like? What sort of thing do they want? They're pretty much what all Uzbeks want. What's that? Everyone here wants the same thing. They want to get out of Uzbekistan. I'll be honest, Ivo's account of the regime disturbed me. I could feel it was true. If you asked any Uzbek a direct question about politics or economics, or even how they felt things were nowadays, you'd be met with silence, or they'd look at the ground. The fear was everywhere. So a day or two later, I decided to have a word with Roy. May I ask a personal question, Roy? Just what exactly is it you do? No, I'm, I'm not taking the piss. I'm the political officer. I know that. I'm meant to analyse what's going on in government, but I'm particularly interested in the levels of security and repression at any given moment. Where's your stuff filed? Over here. Um, this was last month's report. Did anyone read it? Uh, this is the month before. How long have you been here? Three years. And in that three years, has anyone done anything about anything you've written? Uh, that's not for me to see, is it? Can you please put all your work on my desk? The picture painted in Roy's files was extremely alarming. A country without even the most basic notion of human rights. I read and I read. Then three days later, I decided to act. Come on, let's go. Hey, what's this? Roy, get my assistance. Where are we all going? The driver, where is he? Yeah, but where are we going? A group of us set off in the car. We roared through the streets of Tashkent. I hope you know what you're doing. People don't do this. Why not? Because nobody's been interested. White. We drew up outside a courtyard. There was an unprepossessing, muddy, squat wall surrounding some dirty white buildings. There were over a hundred people. When they saw the British flag on my car, they all started shouting. The courthouse is through there, but you're going to have trouble. What do these people want? They want to speak to you. You're the British ambassador. You can speak to me later. First, I want to find out what's going on. We headed for the courtroom. A bunch of soldiers tried to block our way. One touched my arm, so without thinking, I took him by the throat and pushed him up against a wall. How dare you! How dare you lay a finger on me? Get off me, It's not a good idea, right? Sir, do you want to come through, Inside the courthouse, there was a cage with six prisoners. Around them, dozens of militia. The place was chokingly hot. The judge was thick-set with his belly bursting out of his shirt. He was showing off. He started shouting at the defendants before he'd even sat down. Roy was beside me and he translated. It went something like this. I don't want to spend much longer on these cases. We've already been here for days. The defense has used every time-wasting trick in the book. Well, it's enough. I won't be strung along anymore. You can delay justice, but you cannot avoid it. All this ridiculous nonsense has to stop right away. You represent evil in society. You imagine that because you give the proceeds of your crimes to terrorists, that your actions are somehow noble? On the contrary, there's nothing noble about you. With your long Muslim beards, your petty criminals and thieves. With respect, sir. Sir, I do not wish to hear from the defense. I will not hear from you. The defense will speak only when spoken to. You are trying my patience. The first witness, please. The first witness was a tiny old man with a little white beard. He looked on the point of collapse. The prosecutor rose. We are going to read your statement. 
This is the statement the witness has made. He identifies his nephew, Sanja Khudabeginov. He confirms his nephew is a terrorist engaged in resistance to the legitimate government of Uzbekistan. He steals specifically to finance his terrorism. And he traveled to Afghanistan to meet Osama bin Laden. Is this your testimony? Yes, it is, but it's worthless. Silence! Not a word of it is true. I was tortured. You have already said this. We have already dismissed the possibility. I insist on telling the truth. This evidence is inadmissible. They tortured me to say it. They tortured my nephew. They beat his testicles and they put electrodes on his body. Inadmissible. They put a mask over him to stop him breathing and then they raped him with a bottle. Then they seized my granddaughter and said they would rape her. All the time they said, Osama bin Laden, Osama bin Laden. We are good Muslims. What do we know of Osama bin Laden? This is not admissible. It is also unnecessary. The prisoner himself has already confessed. This witness is therefore superfluous. Take him away. I can't believe it's a joke. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, Craig, I'd like you to meet the defendant's sister. This is Dilabar Khudabaganova, the British ambassador. I'm very honored to meet you. My brother's done nothing. He heard he was going to be arrested. He was tipped off. So he went away to Afghanistan. That's all. That's all he did. And for that, they're trying to kill him. Aha, so why are they pretending he was also a thief? Well, they do that so they can fiddle the figures. They don't want to admit to the Americans that they take political prisoners. So they charge them with non-existent crimes, and that way they can list them as criminals. Meaning Ukamda Aybjok. Um, my brother is innocent. Yes. The defendant's sister was ravishingly beautiful. Her black hair flowed down her back. She had beautiful eyes. Though I can't say I was looking at her eyes while she was speaking. And I couldn't keep my thoughts entirely on her brother's case. If I may say this, De Lobar? De Lobar, yes. Uh, his innocence is not the question. Simply, like everyone else, he deserves a fair trial. Can you help us to get it? De Lobar, I can promise you right now. You are someone I am most happy to help. Most happy. You know what will happen. The first the family hears of an execution is when they send the bill. They charge the family for the price of the bullet. They charge you? Yeah. You get the bill, and that's how you know someone is dead. We drove back to the embassy. Roy, what's upset you? <sighs> These people have nothing. Nothing. So? I can't think of anything crueler than raising their hopes. You think that's what I'm doing, just raising their hopes? I can tell you right now, that boy will be killed. They'll take him out and they'll kill him. Why are you so sure? Because I've lived here. This is a pathetic little 10th grade tyranny. Roy, trust me. I respect the work you've been doing. I want us to work as a team. You can't save him. I know from experience. Ah, oh, you're powerless. We all are. So I'm just warning you. Don't take this on unless you're intending to see it through. That evening I spoke to Fiona. I'm fearful I may be getting into some sort of difficulty. I attended a dissident trial. Yes, I know. You heard? I don't think it's bad. Do you not? No, not at all. 
showing your presence. After all, you have some authority here. If you let yourself be seen, then at least the regime knows you're watching. Yes. I want to go a little further than that. All right, there was this prisoner. Is he the one with the beautiful sister? What? Isn't she beautiful? Well? Yes, it's true. Dillabar's a very fine-looking woman. I, w I want to take up her brother's case. You can't resist, can you? You can never resist to put yourself in the best possible light, as usual, as always, with a woman. What did you promise her? You can tell me. I don't mind what you promised. I've been with you long enough, God knows. You have. I depend on you. Well, then. Fiona, I can't do anything without you. Do what you must, but for God's sake, take care. The next day, Roy came in with a photograph. What's this? How did you get hold of these? Uh, the man's name is Vazov. He was being held in the Jaslik Gulag. It's where they keep all the hardline dissidents. Who took the photos? His mother. Her son's body was sent back to her in a sealed metal casket. She was told not to look inside or else she'd be killed, but anyway, she opened the coffin. It looks as if the body's been splashed with boiling hot water. That's what it looks like. Send the photos back home, get them properly analysed by laboratory. To be honest, I've been looking for something like this. Not long after, there was a meeting with an International Monetary Fund delegation to discuss the growth of the local economy. They wanted to meet with the ambassadors of all the major countries. It took place around a big table at the American residence. Oh, Mr. Murray. I've heard a great deal about you. Oh, really? Goodness. All good, I hope. So I met the American ambassador for the first time. Uh, everyone can see the figures are, um, let's say, modestly encouraging. Uzbekistan has an excellent debt repayment record. It's building up foreign reserves. It's embarking on a period of significant economic progress. Not as significant, of course, as the Uzbek government claims. <laughs> Our friends here from the IMF are telling us the Uzbeks want to post a figure of 8% growth, which we all know. Why 8? Why not 50? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, amusing, but the IMF needs to leave this meeting with a figure which is both encouraging and plausible. I hope we can all settle on three. Did you say three? Yes. No, it's just... Uh, I've been out and about talking to business people. Everyone says the same thing. The Uzbek economy is shrinking. If you want an example of how to ruin an economy, the Uzbek government provides. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anecdotal evidence should be the basis of official reports. Remember, this is largely an agricultural economy. Agriculture accounts for 60% of total economic activity, and this year's was a much better harvest than last year, when the harvest was famously poor. Yes, yes, but... <laughs> well, but what, what's your point, Mr. Murray? Well, as you say, last year's harvest was bad, but the IMF still posted a figure of 4% growth over the previous year when the harvest was known to be good, so... How can the economy be said to be growing every year? It's statistically impossible. I can't see how these figures make sense. Evidently, our young British colleague is not just a diplomat. He's also an economist. But Uzbekistan is not Washington or London or even Paris. The American ambassador has been explaining to us that in this country, logic isn't everything. Well, that's right. Logic has its place, but it's not everything. You have to get used to this part of the world. After lunch, the U.S. ambassador took me aside and he explained this famous context again. Come in and have a drink with me. You're fond of whiskey, I'm told. I, I'm a Scot, so yes, occasionally, but I don't drink when I'm working. You sure? You want to just have one? Oh, really, I want it. 
It's bad luck you've arrived at such a sensitive moment. Things are not entirely as we might wish. However, we do have a duty. In the very backward part of the world, Mr. Murray, our job is to do everything possible to encourage the forces of liberalization. Surely. Progressive elements need our support. They must certainly do. The IMF must say something. Can you imagine if we were to sanction a report which said nothing is changing? What a slap in the face that would be for genuine reformers. See, I know Karimov. He's a good friend of mine. If the IMF reports that his country's making no progress, there's a real danger he'll decide that reform is not worth the effort. Then he'll take Uzbekistan backwards. Sure. Think about that. I'm thinking. It's what I'm working hard to avoid. We need Uzbekistan. I know that. We need it. Yes. Since 9-11, we're fighting a war by all means available. Uzbekistan's our ally. Yes, yes. There's massive American investment, half a billion dollars. The bases. That's right. Karimov provides military bases from which we go out and fight the worldwide war on terror. Yes, yes, I see that. I hope you do. There are things about our allies we may not approve, but in a war, you can't choose your allies. We wouldn't have chosen the Soviets in 1941, but when it comes down to it, you support the people who fight alongside you. You have to. Yes, I, I agree, but I do think there are other principles too. Give me an example. The obvious example. Well, give me one. Freedom of speech. Think, at the, mo at the most conservative estimate, there are over 7,000 prisoners of conscience in Uzbekistan. They've committed no crime. They're being held for no other reason than their political and religious beliefs. Come on, wake up, Craig. Karimov hasn't invented his enemies. He has genuine problems. These people exist. The Islamic movement of Uzbekistan. He must have heard of it. I've heard of it, of course. Like it or not, it's a serious threat. Is it? Truthfully, just how serious is it? All these ridiculous stories of rebel armies gathering in the hills? You think they don't exist? We both know Karimov's doing what dictators have always done. He's exaggerating internal and external threats in order to license his own repressive measures. <sighs> Craig, may I suggest you go down to Broadway? That's what they call the recreational area here. It's one of my favorite pastimes. I love to go down there when I've finished work. I have a beer. I recommend it. Visit Broadway, truly. I watch the girls go by in their T-shirts and skirts. Well, let me tell you, if these guys get their way, you can say goodbye to all that. No Broadway, no beer, no T-shirts, certainly no miniskirts. Look, accepting for a moment, even if that's what these people in jail are working for, it and is. even that's doubtful, since none of them have been properly tried, may I say, they are actually entitled to want it. I don't think so. It's their country, it's their right. I don't agree with you at all. An Islamic society with Sharia law is by its nature extremist. Extreme Islam is a kind of institutionalized violence. I, I look at it differently. People are being locked up for no other reason than that they're Muslim, and we're supporting this. And what's the result? What's the effect of this policy? By supporting injustice, we achieve nothing except to make Muslims hate us. <laughs> Craig, I'm going to be honest. I've heard this line of argument before. Well, I'm sure. There are two ways of seeing these things. The glass is half full or half empty. I see it half full. Come round any time you want to debate these issues. We're partners. US, UK. And I like your passion. It's good. But please, combine passion with reason. When I got back to the office, Roy was waiting with news. We've uh, got the pathology report from the lab in Glasgow. It's not what we thought. In what way? Uh, there's a clear tide mark around Avazov's upper torso and arms. We thought, remember, he'd been uh, tortured by being splashed with hot water. But Glasgow says he must have been immersed. There's a 100% scalding underneath. He was boiled alive. And while they boiled him, 
they beat him and they pulled out his fingernails. Shall I leave it with you? Later, I made my decision. Fiona, I need to warn you. I'm thinking of making a speech about human rights. Why ask? You always do what you want. That's not fair. That's why I'm asking you. Craig, you've always got away with things. Because you're clever, everyone puts up with you. I bet I'm smarter than most people. You're smarter, but you're also stupider. Because it never occurs to you that one day you won't get away with it. You wait. You're a guest in the country. You represent Britain. The rules apply to you, the same as to everyone. Fiona, all I'm doing is pointing out a few facts. A new American agency had arrived in Tashkent devoted to economic freedom. I was asked to speak at the opening of its premises called Freedom House, and so I drafted a speech. Before I gave it, I showed it to Roy. Have you read it? Sure. What do you think? Pretty long for a resignation letter. Very funny. Look over there, they can't want to get rid of me. They've sent me the car I asked for. <laughs> we travelled in the splendour of my new Range Rover. When we got there, it was pouring with rain. The whole place was packed. The American ambassador was there. Hi, Craig. Ambassador. There was huge international coverage. Banks of microphones, radio, TV. I was led upstairs to a large landing from which I looked down on the crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm most happy today to join in this open house. The organizers are to be congratulated for their initiative, <coughs> as are the US government for their assistance with finance. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm a Scot and proud of my race. Our national poet Robert Burns notes in his great poem, The Author's Earnest Cry and Prayer, that freedom and whiskey gang together. Uh, which for those whose Scots is a wee bit rusty means freedom and whiskey go together. <laughs> well, we all know how difficult it is to find real whiskey in Tashkent. <laughs> Let us have no illusions about the size of the challenge we face. Independent Uzbekistan had a great handicap to overcome in the very poor legacy from the Soviet Union. But this country has made very disappointing progress in moving away from the dictatorship of the Soviet period. Uzbekistan is not a functioning democracy, nor does it appear to be moving in that direction. Major political parties are banned. There appears to be a belief that the persecution of any individual can be justified by labelling them as an Islamic extremist. So let us make this point. No government has the right to use the war against terrorism as an excuse for persecution of those with a deep personal commitment to the Islamic religion and who pursue their views by peaceful means. Sadly, the large majority of those wrongly imprisoned fall into this category. In this audience today are many human rights defenders, colleagues of those who are even now in prison, I'd like to say how deeply I admire you on a personal level. I'm very conscious that I stand here in a privileged position. You, on the other hand, daily risk persecution for the rights of your fellow citizens. You have my deepest respect. And one day, your countrymen will be in a position to show their gratitude.
I was led away in something like triumph. Next day, there was a state banquet for Kofi Annan, who happened to be visiting. He requested a text of my speech. Then something even more unexpected. I was standing alone when suddenly the president, Karimov, headed straight for me. The whole crowd fell silent. It was like a western. I have wanted to meet you. Mr. President. You are the new British ambassador. Indeed. Welcome to our country. Thank you. I must admit, later I went to the ragu bar with Ivo Sanderson. My kilt was much admired. See, all you have to do is stand up to them. You stand up to bullies. That's why I came over. He gave you the eye. He didn't give me the eye. He respects me. Why does he respect you? Because I've got balls. You've got the balls of a sperm whale. <laughs> exactly. You look bullies in the eye. That's what you do. It's the only way. You show them who's boss. Huh? The European Union took months but finally, they investigated my complaints about some of the most outrageous human rights abuses I'd encountered. A delegation of EU ambassadors gave an official summons to the Uzbek foreign minister, and then we delivered a diplomatic rebuke. As you know, this is a very unusual procedure. Please. I have been instructed by the European Union to make a formal démarche. You will find in this paper a considered response to two cases... The AU requests you take note of our views. Thank you. The case of Avazov is unfortunate. As we understand, he was involved in a fight for a samovar with another suspect. He died when the samovar exploded, hence the scolding. If you read the report, you will find the European Union does not accept that account. Indeed. Finds it utterly implausible. And please tell me, if, as you, as you say, the whole thing was an accident, why was his mother subsequently arrested for disclosing the state of the body? And why has she since been sent to jail for six years? As for the other case, what is it? His name is Khudr Beganov. <laughs> I'm surprised you bother yourself with such an obvious terrorist. You seem not to understand our system. I understand your system. 99% of trials in this country end in a verdict of guilty. Precisely. My very point. In the UK, you waste your time trying the innocent. Here in Uzbekistan, we try only the guilty. It's our tradition. You would find it much more efficient. And thank you for bringing me this. What are you saying? Are you saying you accept our document? Your complaint is noted. It's good of you to have spent so much time pursuing such untypical events. If I can point out, please. in the last couple of weeks there's been a UN inspector here, a special rapporteur on torture. I've seen a draft of his report. So have you. He says torture in this country is widespread and systematic and used as a routine investigative technique. I can't comment. No. He also claims his work was deliberately hindered. The Uzbek government went out of its way not to cooperate with an official UN investigation. Again, No, I... no, I don't expect you to comment. Thank you. However, if I may just make one further point on rather less concrete evidence of obstructing an official UN investigation, may I remind you, we seem to be on the brink of invading Iraq. Then afterwards, as I drove home with Roy, something happened which was disturbing. If I'd been smarter, I'd have taken more notice. <laughs> You must admit it was funny. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. <laughs> His face. On rather less evidence, we're on the verge of invading Iraq. <laughs> oh.
Get out of the way, you bastard! I'm overtaking! Oh, I've got to be careful! You bastard! You bastard! 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 These bastards! Right! Bastard! Speak to me, Roy! Stop the car, Roy! You better tell me what happened back there. Is there something wrong? Are you ill? I just hate bloody Uzbeks. I hate them. Roy, you're grounded. Go home. It was clear I'd inherited a problem, but I had rather larger matters on my mind. I was worried we might all now be drifting into illegality, but I wanted to be sure. So I took Angela out for a walk in the park. You've seen the recent telegrams? I've seen most of them, yes. The stuff that comes to us via MI6 and the CIA. Sure. The ones that say Uzbek dissidents have been travelling to Afghanistan to meet Osama bin Laden in person. Well? Now, doesn't it strike you that some of that stuff seems awfully familiar? We know where it's coming from, don't we? Yes. That's occurred to me too. See, this is what's bothering me. I'm thinking of drafting a telegram to London pointing out that British ministers may be in breach of international law. I'm planning to distribute the telegram as widely as possible so that London then can't cover it up. Are you sure that's something you're ready to do? Well, that's why I need you. You have regular meetings with the Americans. Talk to them. Just do it casually at a regular meeting. Just drop in a question and ask them where they get all their stuff, particularly this rubbish about Islamic militants in non-existent camps waiting to charge down from the hills, could you? All right. And don't mention it to anyone. I'm sorry, but that includes Roy. You heard what happened? I did. He's emotional. Angela, this was more than emotional. It was frightening. Roy's an emotional man. 48 hours later, Angela came back, having spoken to her counterpart. I saw the American political counsellor. Well? He said, yes, of course, all their intelligence came from the Uzbeks. How else would they have got it? And probably, yes, because the Uzbeks used torture all the time, it had never even occurred to him it might be a problem. He never even thought about it. Okay. It took me a day or two to draft a telegram. I was determined to get it absolutely right. I pointed out the dangers of what we were doing. We were receiving intelligence via the Americans, which the Uzbeks had obtained by torture. By conveying that intelligence to British government ministers, we were putting ministers at risk of breaking UK and international law. I sent the telegram to London. Pretty soon after, I got called back. There's no question that the leader of Iraq is an evil man. After all, he gassed his own people. We know he's been developing weapons of mass destruction. And I think it's in his advantage to, to allow inspectors back in his country to make sure that he's conforming to the agreement he made. After uh, he was I can't believe what's happening. It's happening. Nothing can stop them. It's as if they made up their minds a long time ago. Yes. That's how it seems. <sighs> Fiona, they've sent for me in London. 
Are you in trouble? Why'd you say that? Of course not. Trust me. Craig, you know what happens when you're under pressure. It happened before... Not this time. Emily, James and me, we've only just moved here. We're making a life. We're part of it. I was barely off the plane back in London when I was summoned. I went off to have a full English and a greasy spoon and I lost all sense of time. I can't believe it. You're late. It was stupid, forgive me. The permanent undersecretary would have preferred to see you himself. I understood I was called back to meet him. He's busy. I see. You can imagine, this is a critical moment. Of course. He wanted me to say he was dismayed you'd circulated your opinion so widely to other ambassadors. He thinks there are certain matters it's unwise to commit to paper. They're delicate. Well, yes. What he's saying is, if this is an issue of conscience, there was no need to play it out to such a wide audience. But, Serena, it isn't an issue of conscience, it's an issue of law. Good. In that case, we have the right man. <laughs> Craig! You know Sir Lawrence Quest? Of course, Larry. Oh, we go back a long way. Drinking friends. I'm sure. However. This is Tom Cockshire. Ah, we've never met, but I know what you do. And I know about you. So... Craig, you'll be flattered to know your questions have been considered at the highest level. The Foreign Secretary himself has discussed your interpretation of the UN Convention on Torture. Sir Lawrence is here to make the legal view clear. Although I'm, I'm the legal advisor, I don't claim to be an expert on this particular document. I've studied it quite closely. Thank you. You're right. There is certainly an issue under Article 15 about whether evidence secured by torture would ever finally be admissible in court. It wouldn't. That's right. Plainly. But aside from that one reservation, I do have to say that, in my view, there's no legal obstacle to our continuing to receive such information. But, Larry, take a look at Article 3. I'm sure Sir Lawrence has already looked we at it. We are technically complicit. Uh, yes. That word complicit, it's opaque. There is some argument over what complicit actually means. Larry, come on. We take this stuff, we use it. We know for a fact that some poor bastard had their skin torn off just so that we can read it. What are you saying? Because we don't bother to ask who did the torturing, where and when, somehow we're not to blame. It's not our fault. Because we don't ask, does that mean we're not complicit? Do you really think that? I'm sorry, but it seems to be so. You see, I've already consulted several international lawyers and they don't actually agree with you. I can hardly see that was they necessary. They read Article 5 quite differently. Here, we're guided by Sir Lawrence. And Sir Lawrence says there's no problem. In my view, legally, yes, we are in the clear. Legally? Uh, yes. As to the moral implications of Western governments choosing to obtain information by torture, I make no comment on those. Yeah, moral questions aren't our business. We're diplomats, we're not politicians. Moral questions are not settled by people like us. Tom? I can only talk practically. From the point of view of MI6, I can say that Uzbekistan's giving us, via the US, high-quality material which plays a significant role in the war on terror. Uh it would be a disaster were we to lose it. And, what's more, it would threaten the UK-US intelligence-sharing arrangements. You know perfectly well the intelligence is useless. It is, it, is, it is actively misleading. Do I know that? Come on, it's the first rule of your trade. You view with special suspicion anything obtained under duress. You seem to be telling me my job. No, no, actually, I'm telling everyone to stop and think. James I abolished the use of torture evidence in England in 1608. Are you seriously suggesting, at, at, at this moment of all moments, this country returns to, to Tudor standards of barbarity? It would help us, Sir Lawrence, if you could put your conclusions in writing. Copy to Craig. I'll do that. Do we all agree the meeting is closed? That was it. That was the ruling. 
I could see my old friend Larry was in agony, but then a lot of decent people in the Foreign Office were. It was my misfortune to have as my line managers two true believers. You're going to come and have lunch with us. I don't need lunch. Yes, you do. I had a big breakfast. What's that? I don't like tuna. No one gives a damn what you like. Now, let's get this straight. You've had a good time, you've enjoyed yourself. Showing off. Showing off in what way? Spraying emotional telegrams. I'm sorry, if innocent men being boiled alive doesn't make you emotional, then I have no idea why you're doing this job. And giving speeches. What speeches? Freedom House. It should never have been given. It was approved. You approved it. Yes, you sent it to us 12 hours before you were due to give it. It was with your permission. You saw the text. Craig, you think you're brilliant at office politics. You're not. You're transparent. We knew perfectly well you were trying to outmaneuver us, so we had no time to rewrite it. Do you take us for idiots? Craig, the speech was counterproductive and counter-tactical. You don't change a dictatorship by taking it on in public. D don't you? Isn't that exactly what we're doing in Iraq? And while you're indulging your passion for amateur dramatics, you don't seem to notice problems rather closer to home. An Uzbek citizen has been attacked by Roy Skinner's dog. I know that. Of course I know that. Your own political secretary. And he buys a Rottweiler. I know all about it. I'm onto it. What's going on? Roy has been seen roaming the streets with a metal baseball bat. I've been trying to deal with it. Is your embassy totally out of control? Roy was annoyed with his Uzbek neighbours, so he set his dog on their children. He knocked down the door of their home, he threw the kids' bikes in a ditch, then he threatened the father with an iron bar. Didn't you realise? Roy Skinner is a dangerous man. His dog weighs 60 kilos! There's a ten-year history of violence. Ten years? Yes! And why on earth did nobody tell me? We did tell you! We briefed you before you went out! You told me the opposite! You said there had been one complaint! One! You said your words you had stoutly defended. No, we said no such thing. It was here in this room. Those were your words. We stoutly defended oh, him. And now you're calling us liars? Look to your embassy. It's seriously dysfunctional. You run an unhappy outfit. That's what everyone says. Who? I'm not giving you names. I'm just telling you. The Americans said to us, my God, it's a shame Blair could only find an alcoholic to send to Uzbekistan. Did they say that? Craig, this is a warning. Sort out your own patch. When you've fixed your own problems, oh sure, then you can start dreaming of bringing the Uzbek government down. I went back to Tashkent. As soon as I got back, I snapped a calf muscle. They gave me morphine. I was in considerable pain. But because I had to rest, I was also quite bored. You're meant to be in bed. I know. I thought it would do the leg good to give it some exercise. Won't be late. I went with Ivo to our usual lap dancing club and as usual we had a few drinks drinks more <laughs> drinks let's settle into the night and then we saw this extraordinary girl what people don't understand there is a real skill in shinning up a pole using only your thighs my god who is she she's new how does she do that pure intellect Look at her eyes. Look what she's saying. What? What's she saying? She's saying, save me. Are you sure that's what she's saying? Don't. I'm in love. <laughs> Good evening. Uh, I am with my friend. I've no wish. I thought it was a rule of the club no that rules. you have to talk to no me. No rules. No rules. Not interested. Virgin. Oh, well, at least let me buy you a drink. I don't drink. Virgin. Oh. Virgin. <laughs> that doesn't mean I can't sit next to you. English teacher. 
Say that again. You're a virgin, you're an English teacher, which? Both. And you? Neither. <laughs> family of actors, acting family. Mm -hmm. Money, I do this. Just money. Yeah. I'm not, um, what's the word? I'm not uh, full... Fulfilled. Uh, fulfilled uh -huh. with my dancing. I'm not fulfilled. Mm -hmm. For me to dance is to speak with only one limb. Yeah. I want to speak full throat. <laughs> I can only do this through dramatic acting. Dramatic! The stage. You'd be very good on the stage. Up and down the ball just for money. I can give you more money. Oh, I'm... I... Here. Ow. Oh. Here, 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 here. Uh, Here's more money. Thank you. I, I saw something in your eyes. Eyes. You looked in my eyes. Yes. While you were dancing, <laughs> your eyes were speaking very directly. You in business? No. Mm. I'm the British ambassador. <laughs> All men want to be big. But I am big. I'm the British ambassador. People, friends I have will know if you're lying. Nobody would pretend to be the British ambassador in Uzbekistan, <laughs> not unless they were seriously out of their mind. I've met men in this club. Oh, I'm sure. I'm not stupid. I know what they want. They don't know what respect means. I know about respect. I know what it means. It means taking people seriously. <laughs> I take you seriously. You're saying you're different. I am. Nadira went outside with her friend. I followed. She was wearing a little leather skirt and a near-nothing top. I'll see you again. You give me your number. No. You will. You will give me your number. <laughs> no. Maybe not tonight. Not tonight. Never. You will. You and I are meant for one another. I have a wife, oh. so you can only be my mistress. But but still, I'll get you a nice flat. Here's my card. Call me at the embassy, then you'll know I am genuine. I've been under terrible pressure. This is a very difficult time in mm -hmm. my life, so tonight is important. May I kiss you? No. I don't say this lightly. You have my heart. Very soon after, the coalition invaded Baghdad. We will continue to do all we can to avoid civilian casualties. Our enemy is Saddam and his regime, not the Iraqi people. Our forces are friends and liberators of the Iraqi people, not your conquerors. And they will not stay in Iraq a day longer than is necessary. This is just terrible. I know, however, the I know. Just look at it. Look at what they're doing. They don't think for a moment about the Iraqis. They don't seem to think of people as people. All the time, they're just thinking about themselves. That will not happen this time. This regime will be gone and ended. And in the middle of all this, I had an unpleasant duty. Roy. You know what I'm going to say. I have to send you back. There'll be a full investigation in London of all the allegations. Roy, you've done great work, but you're out of control. Well, at least say something. Just wait till it happens to you. 
I was determined to show that whatever my problems in London, at the embassy it was business as usual. It was the Queen's official birthday, so I put on my coat. My God, Craig, you're pushing the bird out. There must be a thousand people. Two thousand, actually. Ministers, generals, a full set of ambassadors. Oh, bravo! Foreign officers saying I can't run an embassy. We'll just look at this. I think we may have to consider the possibility you're becoming the most influential man in Tashkent. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. May I say, uh, it's wonderful to see so many people here today. I've been thinking how best we may honour Her Majesty, and I've decided the only fitting tribute I can pay is to give her a song. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. <laughs> I am the very model of a modern major general. I've information, vegetable, animal, and mineral. I know the kings of England, and I quote the fight historical from Marathon to Waterloo in order categorical. I'm very well acquainted too with matters mathematical. I understand equations both the simple and quadratical. About binomial theorem, I am teeming with a lot of news. Lot of news. Lot of news. Ah, yes! With many cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. With many cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. Many cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. Many cheerful facts about the square of the hypotenuse. I'm very good at integral and differential calculus. I know the scientific names of beings animalculus and short in matters vegetable, animal, and mineral. I am the very model of a modern major general. One day my assistant Christina brought me a farmer called Atayev who came from somewhere beyond Samarkand. My Tajik isn't good, but what he seems to be saying is this. He and his brother rented an orchard from the state cooperative. When the cooperative demanded it back, they refused because it's their livelihood. So his brother's been Murdered? Murdered? And now the brother has been jailed for seven years on trumped-up charges. And they've beaten up his mother. She's 84. Something about the people saying the British ambassador is the only man who can help. All right. Come on, pack a bag, we're going to Kitab. When? Right now. Just wait a minute. Why? I told you, I speak Tajik very badly. You're right, we need an interpreter. Um, Go down to the Safar Club. Don't look shocked, you know where it is. There's a girl called Nadira. She's multilingual. How do you know? Come on, let's get going, let's get on the road. The route took us through the famous city of Samarkand on the Silk Road between China and the West. 3,000 years old and impeccably restored, it's everyone's idea of fabulous Uzbekistan, but the place I was heading could hardly have been more different. The rural area behind was poor and blazingly hot. And Karshi isn't easy to find. Does anyone know where on earth this place is? Then suddenly we turned a corner. We stopped on the side of the road and took in the most extraordinary sight of my life. My God. Look at it, I can't believe it. Where there had once been an orchard, stretching away as far as the eye could see, 
Now there were only stumps. Every apple tree in sight had been cut down. How on earth did they do it? This would, this would take an army of men. This looks like some of them now. Then we all move towards them. This is unwise. What are they saying? These are the men who murdered the farmer. They now say they will beat you dead and rape your women. Craig, don't go near them. Translate, please. You will not do it. Don't bloody dare or I will tear you apart. I want to find the farmer's mother. I want to meet her and you will not stop me. Now, I'll ask these men to kindly get out of my way. I headed towards the house of the old woman. The whole village began to follow behind. By the time we got there, we were more than a hundred. We went inside. A mud house was bare, stripped of everything. They came. They took everything. They said they would kill her unless her sons gave them the orchard. They beat her with clubs. As we stood there, this 84-year-old woman took off her dress. She stood naked in front of us. Her body was covered with livid blue and purple bruises, some of them still bleeding. Tell her, um, tell her I'm sorry, but I need to know who cut down the trees. Once she had told us, then I had to decide what to do. Night was falling. By an old cow shed, the village had assembled. I don't know how to speak to you. I'm going to speak in Russian. The destruction of an orchard is always a crime against nature. It's a crime against God. But in this case, it's something much more. What you have done is a crime against yourselves. I'm told every man in this village was paid. For 200 soon, you were prepared to turn on your neighbours and ruin their lives. This is a beautiful country. These are unhappy times. How will things ever get better if you do not begin to stand up for each other? You're living like animals. These are the lowest actions of humanity. Turn on your neighbours today. Tomorrow, it may be your orchard, your house. I have no right to lecture you, but you must learn solidarity. All power is with the authorities. In the fight you face, solidarity is the only weapon you have. Afterwards, we went to look for the procurator. He wasn't there. A man called Fazilov introduced himself. He was manager of the state cooperative. He said, we must be tired. He asked us to dinner. We sat on some benches eating kebabs. You made a great speech. That's what they told me. The English love speeches. I'm a Scot. But it was still a good speech. Were you part of it? Was it you? Did you kill the farmer? Did you beat up his mother? Do you know how much people earn in this town? I'll tell you. Please do. They earn two dollars a month. And you rebuke them for accepting a bonus. You tell them it's wrong. 
that needed courage, my friend. Oh, colonial arrogance. You must be very sure of yourself. Not as sure as you are. You seem very confident. I am. What's the reason for that? What it comes down to? You make good speeches, but I'll be here tomorrow. I'll be here, and you won't. Next morning, I went to the procurator's office. Get out! Get out of this yes. office! Yes! I'm Ranger. telling you to get out! Ranger. I don't care if it's your office! Ranger. You're here to enforce the law, not to break it! He's asking what is your authority, what right do you have? You're a lawyer. You know perfectly well that Uzbekistan is a signatory to the International Human Rights Convention. <laughs> One party has a duty to enforce compliance on another. That's what I'm doing. You are a disgrace to your office. I'm yeah, ashamed of you. He asks, is this an official complaint? Yes. On behalf of Her Majesty's government, we're telling you, this is an order. Leave these innocent farmers alone. <laughs> Don't look round, I was making it up. <laughs> Stuff about the Human Rights Convention. He didn't know. It sounded good. Yes. Whatever you do, don't look back. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Please, please, please. Thank you. Thank you all. By summer, I was completely exhausted. So we all went on a family holiday together to Vancouver. What a marvellous day. Wasn't it? If we eat now, the children are going to get cold. Don't worry, I can nip back to the hotel, get some pullovers. Order me fish and chips, Emily! Sure, Dad! A large one! Okay! It was actually a wonderful family holiday. It was the best we'd all got on for a while. But back at the hotel, there was a message to call London. That was the end of my holiday. You're not eating your fish. Are you all right? I lay awake all night. We were sleeping in one room with the children. So just before dawn, I took Fiona into the bathroom. That message yesterday. I've been forbidden to go back to Tashkent. Why? What's happening? They're bringing charges against me. What kind of charges? I'm to cut short my holiday and go back to London immediately. Fiona, I've not been telling you, but since Iraq, they've simply ignored all my telegrams. They, they never answer. It's as if I don't exist. Well, now they're changing their tactics. They're bringing charges. Uh, you keep saying charges. What charges? Well, well, this is it. I don't know. They won't tell me until I get to London. However... However... What have you done? I haven't done anything. But... There is one thing that I do need to tell you. What sort of thing? A woman thing. Mm -hmm. All right, all right, for God's sake, don't wake the children. I'm not waking the it's, children. It's, it's difficult because it's where they can get me. Is that why you're telling me? No, 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 of course not. Who is she? She's sort of an entertainer. What sort? She also teaches English. She's Uzbek? Of course. Her name is Nadira. How long have you been with her? Well, I'm, I'm not technically with her. We haven't had full intercourse because of my leg. Thank you. Who knows about this? No one. I promise you, I've been very discreet. All right. I see why you're telling me. The Foreign Office allows its employees to have mistresses only as long as their wives are informed. If the wife knows, then they're not vulnerable to blackmail. Fiona. That's the reason, isn't it? No. That's the only reason you're telling How me. How can you think? That's not it at all. I'm telling you because I need to be honest. Honest? 
The next few months are going to be very difficult. Things are going to get tough, so I made a decision. Get things out in the open so I have nothing to hide. So, in that spirit, I warn you, I've also made up my mind. This thing is important. For me, meeting Nadira is an extremely important and, and serious event in my life. That's how it is, Fiona. I can tell you right now, it's going to continue. Whatever happens, I'm not ready to stop. I married a sociopath. I know that. It's a mistake that's easily made. Many women do it. But there is such a thing as thinking of other people as real. What people? Your wife. Your children. We're here. We exist. You haven't told me what you see happening to me. There's no problem, Fiona. I asked. I did ask specifically. You can go back to Tashkent, but I can't. We went on to breakfast, but Fiona no sooner sat down to her cornflakes than she got up. Daddy, what are we doing today? Your mother's annoyed with me. I'll be back in a moment. I followed her out to the street. All right, I'll stand by you. I stood by you in Africa. I stood by you in Poland. Oh, yes, I know about them all. I'll stay with you as long as nobody knows. But I will not be publicly humiliated. I will not. That's the condition. Here, new tickets. I went on the internet while you were in the bath. Thank you. I'm grateful. And when this is over, I'll decide what to do. I flew overnight and suddenly I was back at the foreign office. There they were, my two bosses, Serena and Martin. And at their side, the very embodiment of the foreign office. The head of personnel, Sir Egbert Dill. I hope this meeting will be a simple formality. The shorter it is, the more pleasant it'll be. I don't think it'll come as a surprise to you, Craig, that you've lost the confidence of your senior line of management, Mr. Bax, Miss Kilgore. But there's also a disciplinary list of 23 specific instances of alleged misconduct. In the circumstances, the permanent undersecretary insists you withdraw from your post on operational grounds. This is a letter of resignation drawn up by personnel. It's a standard letter saying you no longer feel your talents are best suited to your present role. Do you mind if I have a copy? Of course, old man. I'm sorry. And the allegations? They're here in this folder. Do you mind if I look at them? There's no rush. There'll be plenty of time. No, really. This is a wonderful new world we're all living in, but I still have this old-fashioned idea that I'm entitled to know what I'm charged with. After all, it's no secret. Serena, Martin and I have had differences of opinion. They accuse me, quite wrongly, of neglecting the commercial side of my work. You're grossly ineffective. Please, Martin. You've lost all influence. In fact, in the space of a year, you've made Britain a laughingstock in the whole of Central Asia. Now, gentlemen, this is the kind of discussion we're not here to have. This is the list of specific allegations. Who put you up to this? The Americans? Please, Craig, go home. Take your time. There's no question of anyone prejudging these issues. Stay here in London and you'll be given a chance to mount a full defence. All you have to do at this point is to sign. No, I won't. I'm not signing. This is nothing. It's just a procedural letter. I don't care what it is. 
You don't seem to understand. The permanent undersecretary is insisting you have to resign. He can insist all he likes. It won't make any difference. I've only taken a quick look at this thing. That's why I suggested you not look at it hastily. It's ridiculous. What is it? Item one, selling visas for sex. Item two, hiring Dollybird secretaries. Item three, turning up drunk at work. Item four, giving topless parties at the end. Topless parties? I mean, are you crazy? Have you all gone crazy? You know this is rubbish. It's rubbish. It's not worth the paper it's written on. Excuse me, but that's for the investigating officer to decide. Well, then, good. Fine. If you, if you believe in this document, if you think the charges stack up, then it's simple. Why don't you just sack me? Hmm? Sack me? Come on, why not? What's stopping you, Egbert? Of course, the reason you don't sack me is because you have nothing on me. This is a stitch-up. It's got stitch-up written all over it. Nobody wants to deny you due process. However, to follow that process, the nature of the charges makes it essential you stay in London to see this thing through. No. Very well. If you won't sign the letter... I won't. Then I have no choice but to allow you to return to Tashkent. Thank you. For now. But if you do go back, I warn you, you may not speak of these charges to anyone. That is a condition. You may not defend yourself. You are under an oath of silence until this matter is settled. Makes no difference. All I know is I want to return to my work. Very well, then. That's it. Thank you for coming. No, thank you. But is that how we're leaving it? I'm sorry, but Craig has given us no choice. I must admit, I'm as astonished as anyone. <sighs> Why? Why astonished? Isn't it obvious? To be frank, it never occurred to any of us you wouldn't resign. I can't explain what happened next. Truth is, even now, I don't like to think about it. When I returned to Tashkent in August, I was told they were sending someone out to investigate the allegations. And while that was ongoing, I was banned from the embassy and from embassy grounds. I told you! I told you this is what happens! They always do something like this! You're so stupid! You think you can win? If you're winning, they rewrite the rules! That's how they do it! They always get you, always. Nobody wins against them. I was forced to work from the residence. I tried to go on doing all the things an ambassador does, but inside, I was having a breakdown. Daddy, why are you sitting there doing nothing? Because I'm not allowed to go into the embassy. Why? I'm not allowed to tell you. Why not? The Foreign Office made up a rule. The rule is I'm not allowed to defend myself. If I defend myself, I'm finished. Sounds very silly. It is silly. What are they saying you've done? A whole lot of stupid stuff. None of it's true. Then why are they saying it? Because they hate me. Then when I tried to find Nadira, my problems got worse. I heard a rumour she was going out with a GI. Like most men, I have a double standard. I can't help it, all right, it's pathetic, but that's who I am. Nadira, go please. away! Nadira! I don't want to speak Nadira. to you! Nadira! You go off with your wife, you don't call me! I couldn't call you, Nadira, I couldn't call you, I'm in desperate trouble. In desperate trouble, myself, and you weren't around. What happened, tell me. What sort of trouble you think? Two policemen. Yes, two policemen took me back to their flat. You went back to their flat? Why on earth did you go? Is that all you say? You know nothing. You've 
understand nothing. I'm sorry, Nivia, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, all right? I know nothing, so tell me. They rape me. Nadira. I... I say, not my virginity. Don't take my virginity. They rape me behind. I still have my virginity. You say you love me. It means nothing. You can't help me. So how can you love me? Dear, that isn't fair. You say you love me. What does it mean? What does it mean to love someone and not be there when they're hurt? I began to doubt my own survival. I could see no reason to live. Then one day Fiona was sitting by the pool at the residence. I thought she was reading a magazine, but inside the magazine she had a book called How to Get a Divorce. You said you'd keep it a secret. You promised. I told you I won't be humiliated. You've been going round town with her openly, and God knows who else. You slept with your secretary. Christina. You know damn well who I mean. I haven't. You know I haven't. What difference does it make? You don't need to do it. You just want everyone to think you're doing it. Because that's all that matters to you. As long as people believe it, that's where the pleasure is. That's what you get off on. Look, I can be more discreet. Oh, wonderful. That's really brilliant. But that's what you said. That's what you said you wanted. I'm offering, for Christ's sake, I'm making an offer. It's the best I can do. <laughs> Mental illness is real. It's a real illness. You can die of it, you know? Well, then die. <laughs> Eventually, I couldn't stop crying. I cried all day and all night. God damn this. Damn this. I can't move. I can't think. I can't do anything. Fiona, I'm going crazy. Uh, I was medivaced back to London to St. Thomas's Hospital as a psychiatric patient. For the first ten days, I was held on suicide watch. I had no sense of time. I'd been assigned a specialist, Professor Mel Abelman. How long have I been here? Five days. I've been giving you 75 milligrams of venlafaxine twice a day. It's a heavy dose. Do you remember anything you've said to me? Nothing. You're in deep trouble. I know. It's serious. You've told me the story. You claim the British government is deliberately framing you because your support for human rights is inconvenient to the war on terror. So what I said? Mr. Murray, you don't need a psychiatrist. You need a good lawyer. <laughs> when you were delirious, you kept saying Dundee. I didn't understand oh. it. I had a breakdown at university. I'd been deeply in love. I fall in love easily. If you're very shy, sleeping with someone's the easiest way to get to know them. That's how I met my wife. She was the woman you were in love with? No. She was the person who helped me get over it. 
And this time? This time she won't help me now. News of my predicament was all over the papers. Is this the new Dr. Kelly, British diplomat driven to breakdown? Abelman came in with a sheaf of them. Have you been speaking to journalists? As a matter of fact, I haven't. If I speak to journalists directly, I'm sacked. But you can't stop your friends. Well, they do know what's happening. It's a risky tactic. I hope for your sake it works. It's already worked. If you give me a piece of paper saying I'm no longer nuts, I'm allowed back to Tashkent. They can't stop me. If I'm medically fit, they have to allow me. You need official approval from a foreign office doctor. Ah, that's a formality. I'm a foreigner, remember? I wasn't born here. You understand these people better than me. But there's always a loophole. They'll find it. And when they do, of course you can fight. But you've had one breakdown already. Are you telling me not to fight? That's not my area of competence. My field is mental health, not morality. You must do what you think is right. It was a long recovery. But I was beginning to feel I had them on the run. After two months, I went to the Foreign Office for official medical clearance. I wonder, can I see Dr Hornby? He'll be available shortly. I sat down with a book outside the doctor's office. Fitzroy Maclean's Life of Bonnie Prince Charlie. I read for over seven hours. Um, I was wondering if Dr Hornby is still in the building. He's not. He left an hour ago. Here's another appointment. Thank you. Thank you for telling me. I storm straight up to the head of the Foreign Office. Yes, I want to see the Permanent Undersecretary, please. I'm afraid that's not possible. Why? He's with the Foreign Secretary. Thank you. Then I'll sit outside until he gets back. After only a couple of minutes, who came along but my old friend Egbert? Ah, Craig, I've been sent to deal with you. Do you mind? Egbert, I don't mind who deals with me as long as I get a result. You know, our primary concern is for your welfare. That's very kind of you. But I think I know my own strength. I can only tell you, next time the Foreign Office puts out a statement saying I am still ill, I am going to show every journalist I know the medical clearance I have from St Thomas's Hospital. I'll prove that you're lying. Get the point? I get it. Thank you. Well? Leave it with me. And that was it. It was rare, and I'd learned by now that for every victory you pay a price. But nevertheless, this was a victory. After a week, I returned to Tashkent. And pretty soon after, Donald Rumsfeld arrived. I'm delighted to be back in Uzbekistan, and I brought the President the good wishes of President Bush and our appreciation of their stalwart support in the war on terror. Our relationship is strong and growing stronger. I was found innocent of all but one of the 23 allegations. In a Kafkaesque turn, the chief one I was guilty of was speaking to other people about allegations of which I was later found innocent. My line manager was kind enough to call me from London. Just because the allegations aren't proved doesn't mean they're not true. More gorgeous cocktails! Let's make cocktails! Craig's not been living. No life. His wife never made cocktails. No wonder he's always ill. Fiona refused to come back with me. Soon Adira moved into the ambassador's residence. Most evenings she brought some of her friends over. Ivo, how wonderful to see you. We were expecting you. I hope this isn't an imposition. Not in the slightest. Come see Nadira. She's in the pool. <laughs> Ivo! 
later on we had dinner. Uzbek women, traditional. We look after our men. Hmm. Craig saved me from prostitution. I would now be a prostitute. I owe him. I pay him back. I give him everything. That's very commendable. English women have no idea how to love. Uh Uzbek women understand you devote your life, your whole life, not one year, not two years, forever. I say to Craig, yes, but only if it's forever. He say, yes. Yes? Yes, that's what he wants. Oh, yes. (laughs) Then Nadira danced while we drank more. You have no regret? No. No regrets. No, why should I? You're out on a limb. You disapprove? No. No. I admire principle. Or or rather... Yeah. uh, I admire people who pay the price for their principles. Honey, come to bed. I'm coming. Come on, darling. (sighs) That's the test, isn't it? Of course. Principle's not principle unless you're willing to pick up the bell. I must go. It's really a problem. I got back and I live with someone I love in my big house in Tashkent. And in theory, I've won. But London never speaks to me. They're freezing me out. Good night, Ivo. Thank you for coming. I enjoyed it. Um, Can I wish you good luck? (laughs) Who's that? Uh, Craig Murray? Yes? My name is Avazov. It was my brother who was boiled alive. And then they put my mother in prison. Because she took pictures of her son's body, she was sentenced for six years for dishonoring the name of Uzbekistan. I remember. Thanks to you, they have just released her. Thank you, Britain. I brought you these flowers. Thank you. I feel my time's not been wasted. It's not been wasted. I finally surrendered on the 14th of October 2004. The contents of a memorandum I'd written about the illegal use of torture were anonymously leaked to the Financial Times. To this day, I don't know who did it. Probably someone who was genuinely trying to help, but it didn't. Because it gave them the excuse to get rid of me. Next day, I went public on the Today programme. I'd been an ambassador for just two years. But I can't recall an occasion where an ambassador has gone public to talk about the sorts of things you talked about in relation to Uzbekistan. Uh, The prevalence of torture, brutality is inherent. Uh, You talk about people being, having been boiled alive. This is pretty fierce stuff. The following year, I stood in the election. I am standing against the foreign secretary in his own constituency because I now understand that my own experiences in Uzbekistan were 
just one small part of a whole illegal program of extraordinary rendition and torture, about which the British government has consistently lied. I now realize that my own experiences were just part of a pattern. After the news broke of the US treatment of prisoners in Abu Ghraib, Jack Straw made a speech condemning coercion. It came rather late. By then, we had accepted material from torture chambers in Egypt, Pakistan, Jordan and Saudi Arabia. For years, it turns out, we'd been selling our souls for dross. Vote for Craig! He's the sexiest candidate! Much sexier than the Foreign Secretary! Here, take a leaflet, you'll see. You see, what's crazy is, I'm actually a classic liberal. My views haven't changed. What's changed is my government. Jack Straw, Labour, 17,562 votes. Craig Murray, Independent, 2,082 votes. I therefore declare Jack Straw the elected member for Blackburn. The BNP candidate did better than me. I have no permanent job now. I do talks all over the country. I lecture. I live more simply. I have no chance of ever returning to the profession I loved. Yes, of course I'll come and talk. No, I'm happy to come. That's what I do. Um, just one thing. Do you think you could advance me the fare for the train? That's great. Thank you. Bye-bye. People say I'm a hero. Why am I a hero? What sort of world are we creating where to be against torture makes you a hero? In Murder in Samarkand by David Hare, Craig Murray was played by David Tennant, and in alphabetical order, Bax and Safayev, Jonathan Coy, Egbert Dill and the French ambassador, Richard Cordery, the foreign secretary and Uzbek judge, Simon Chandler, Tom Kokshat, the Uzbek prosecutor, and Fazilov, Ian Gelder, Roy and Avasov, John Hollingworth, the US ambassador and Karimov, Paul Jessen, Dr. Abelman and the Uzbek uncle, Bruce Myers, Angela and Mary Fallon, Flora Montgomery, Dilaba, Nadira Murray, Emily, Clara Neither, Nadira, Jemima Rupa, Serena and Christina, Lucy Robinson, Ivo Sanderson and Quest, Malcolm Sinclair, Fiona, Leah Williams, and the Tajik procurator and bully, Sarojidon Tolibov. The piano was played by Michael Webben. The play was based on the memoir by Craig Murray, produced by Anne Scott and directed by Clive Brill. It was a Greenpoint production for BBC Radio 4.